Amen. Well, guys, grab a Bible. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight, Proverbs 27. So we're inviting you either to grab one of your Bible of your own or one here in the church. But we also just bring before you the Bible reading booklet that we have available at the door when you come in. Once more, as we walk through the book of Proverbs, we came up with just a different way of kind of approaching it because of the nature of the book of Proverbs. That it's so kind of just, you know, it just every verse can be different. And so the book that we provided for you actually is just the Bible. It's a chapter. So this is chapter 27. We did this in a way so that you could mark this thing up maybe more than you would your own Bible. So if you want to do that, you are welcome to do that. We will, you know, kind of highlight it in ways of kind of noticing good, bad, and in the midst of it. And if you want to follow that same pattern, you're welcome to or your own. But once more, with an invitation to dive into this this evening and see God speak to your life and mine in a way that we would understand really is our invitation. And so before we dive into uh, the Word tonight, we're going to take one more moment and pray and pray for a blessing on this moment. I'm going to lead in it, but I'm inviting you, pray again, but not just at the same moment, but for your own heart, asking God to give you ears and ability to hear in the midst of this what he would say to you this evening. Father, we come, and, and I love that we come to you, though together, though we're studying a passage of scripture together, we come to you known to you, individual. God, you know us. You know the way that we take. You know the space that we are, and you're at work. You have promised us, for those who are in Christ, that that good work you have started in us, you are faithful to complete it. I believe that, and I believe that today. I believe that this day you're at work in lives, in real ways, in real and personal and individual ways. It is that that I'm asking for right now. Thank you for your word, for its truth. Now connect it, Lord, in such a way that for everyone here, we will hear from you. And what you would have us to understand, we would understand. God, I believe you. I believe in your faithfulness. I believe in your ability. Do what we could never do in our own strength. Give us understanding this evening that meets us by your faithfulness and your truth. God, in a way that both helps us know that you know, but helps us in this moment. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit's saying to us, Lord, we ask. I ask. And we just submit this evening to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God tells you that he would give you wisdom. Wisdom in the spaces where you are, in the life that you have. I, I think about just the, the weight of that. I think about the, the, the wonder of, of just the promise that's found there in his word, just in the promise that he would give us as he tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's an incredible promise. He says, if any of you are in a space where you find yourself thinking, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate this situation. I don't, I'm not wise enough to handle this. And, and all of us find ourselves there. He says, here's what you can do. You can ask God, and he would give to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I hold that out to you even this evening and just long that in the space that you are, you're asking, you're looking to God for wisdom. Certainly part of his answer is the, word, the answers he gives us in his word. It's where we are in the book of Proverbs. It's a space that gives us wisdom for navigating the space where we are. I draw that to your attention in part, even because where we're going to begin 
So you have your, your Bibles there or your booklets. We're going to begin in verse 15. That's where we left off last week. And in verse 15, it goes this way, giving us this proverb. It says, A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. So right off the bat, kind of a, a tough one just to begin our, our Proverbs into this evening, but it draws attention to this place of being contentious or a contentious woman in the midst of it. Proverbs has talked about this a number of times, and for you ladies who've been here, we've talked about it a number of times, so I won't spend a bunch of time defining this except to say this. One of the great struggles of really navigating a sinful world and the brokenness that affects our lives is even how that affects us. And for you ladies, there's a God-given design in who you are, a way that really is true for the way God has made women that very often, I mean, what's true in, in, in your life is that you have an extra sensitivity, an ability to see and perceive and be aware of things, and we find that all the way through Scripture. We find that women were the last at the, at the cross, the first at the tomb. There's this propensity that you have that is a God-given talent, if you want to think about it that way, a God-given superpower even, of being just aware of things and being sensitive. It's a great gift, and it's a great curse. Because in the midst of a sinful world, that same sensitivity can make you critical. It can make you contentious. It can make you that kind of person that instead of a blessing, taking this sensitivity that would make you kind and, and, and caring and, and, and watching around lives, it can make you in that sense someone who is contentious. And so Proverbs warns us about that over and over. That said, this proverb talks about this contentious woman and, and the one who would find themselves there and just lets us know there's something almost impossible dealing with that from without that you think about. He says, like a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman there alike. And again, we, we had rain this morning, and so probably for us, we're thinking that sounds like a great deal. But imagine, maybe you've had it, you know, a leaky roof, you know, in your house, and then there's nothing you can do about it. But just you know, endure, and as if every drip is just driving you bonkers kind of deal. That's kind of the feeling that's in the midst of this. And he says the, the problem with that is there's really nothing in that moment you can really do about it. It's not something that can be fixed in that space. And so he says in that place, whoever restrains her is like restraining the wind. It's grasping oil with his right hand. Whoever would try to say, okay, I'm just going to, I see it. I see that's a problem. I'm going to fix it. It's like, yeah, it's not going to work. That's not going to work because no one else can. So the weight of this proverb draws us to see this, and in one sense it's true of this, but all other areas of sin as well. There's a place where you can look upon it and say, well, that's a bad thing. I, just, I see it. I'm going to stop it or I'm going to resist it. It's like you're, you can't. If I can say it very gently and, and kindly this way, the only one who can is you. Uh, for, for, for the ladies here specifically, taking this very much there, that struggle that is yours. It's, you're the only, nobody else can look upon and say, hey, I'm just going to help you stop. You know, kind of notice that you're being kind of contentious. I thought I would just be helpful. It's like, yeah, you try to stop the wind. Like, that's what that's going to be like. Nobody else can, but you can. That's the beauty in Christ is that God can help us see, you know, what sin has done and the brokenness that's there and, and that we would be those, as James tells us, hey, if, if you're looking for wisdom, God will give it to you. God will help you navigate that space. And again, it draws us into that place where that is exactly what we need. Well, leaving that one, we've talked about it before. I'll leave it there for you to think through. Let's go to the next one. There in verse 17, we come to a familiar one. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 
So he gives this to us in one sense, and I'll use kind of blue as a color that just lets us know it's a statement of fact and, and kind of thinking about it that way. He says, so you, when you're trying to sharpen iron, it, it's iron that you use. It's metal that you would use to, to be that that would be a, a sharpening agent to, to mark it and chip at it so that it could be sharp. He says, in that same way, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. It's a pretty incredible proverb. Maybe it's one that you recognize. Maybe it's one that you're aware of, and it's one that is worth our taking a couple moments just to wrap our minds around, because it shines out something incredibly valuable, specifically in relationships and in friendships, one of the things that God intends. Now, I think about it. It's been put different ways. In fact, I think on one of your pages, on page nine of your booklet, I kind of even used a couple of the graphics where people just talk about it. And so on one hand, we're looking at the idea of iron sharpening iron. And again, it's this picture of looking and thinking, well, how do you do that? You know, you look over at a blacksmith or whatever it is, and the way that you sharpen it is, you know, watching this metal kind of crash into each other, where it's like, you know, you're sharpening it, you're, you're sharpening the blade, or whether you're imagining sharpening scissors or anything else, it's this metal to metal, it's this piece to piece that in that sense is seeking to bring about, you know, a sharper edge. I think about it there in the next little graphic there. It says a friend sharpens the mind of each other. And it's this picture of, of how that God intends that to be the way friendship is, a place that is sharpening, helping. In fact, the word sharpening has, a, has kind of almost a beautiful uh, ring to it within the Hebrew. It has the idea of something that would be, you know, almost alive and, and good and, and, and helpful, taking something that would have been dull or, or unhelpful into a place that would be, you know, just a beneficial and a beautiful thing. So let's just think about this for a moment. I don't think it's a hard proverb to understand, but in some ways it's one that we ought to just make sure that we understand the value of it, because God's designed it to be this way. Let me tell you what it's not saying. Now, I know it's probably not true for everybody in this room, but we do live in a weird world right now, in a world where people have so many opinions that you can you know, hop on you know, social media or anything else, and people will you know, speak their minds sometimes. And then every now and then, in the midst of it, somebody will give this as the reason for their doing this. You know, it's like, hey, iron sharpens iron. That's why I'm telling you my opinion. You know, that's why I'm just giving you kind of a, a, you know, dose of what I think. And I'm just wanting to say very graciously, that's not what this proverb is saying. I, I think about it. It will tell us in Proverbs 29 that, you know, it's a fool who vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. I mean, if you're that person that just says, hey, I just say everything I think. You know, iron sharpens iron. You know, it's just good for me to tell you what I think. And he says, this is not a good thing. And it is not a good space for us to do that. In fact, in Christ, we're called. Uh, think about it in Ephesians 4. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It says, don't just say everything you think. I mean, it ought to be that you're thinking, I, want, I don't want to just speak something unkind or vindictive or harsh. I want it to be you know, something that's good. That I'm thinking, hey, I just want to, I'm trying to be a blessing. I want to edify or strengthen or build up because I want grace. I, I want grace in the midst of that. So this verse isn't saying giving us some excuse to just be harsh or cruel. But nevertheless, it is inviting us into a space that friendship, godly friendship, which is one of the themes in Proverbs 27, much of the ones that we looked at last week, it's one of the benefits of that. So let's go back to it one more time. So iron sharpening iron. Once more, just please understand, there's something 
hard about that. There is something about, you know, kind of looking at it. It's not this place of like, you know, so you put a flower on it, you know, it's a nice little thing. It's a com- no, it's almost like a crashing together, almost as if two things are, are meant to do this, but in a way that's meant to be helpful and whole, that, that's meant to build up and, and, and is meant to be there. It's meant to be working that way in our lives. And God is inviting us to have that kind of relationship with each other. Think about how it tells us in Hebrews that says, encourage one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That we're meant to, to come alongside and we're meant to help each other and be a part of that in a way that, that's helpful and sharpening and, and just in a way that's taking our lives and making them more. So giving it to you is just a quick invitation and then we'll move to the next proverb. I just want to invite you right now to be that kind of friend. Uh, I don't know who that is in your life. I don't know if you look and you say, okay, this is my friend. These are, these are friends to me. There ought to be a space that you, you're the one that's not critical or tearing them down, but at the same moment can be in that place of wholeness and thinking, hey, I want to help. I want to I, I, I be a part of that. I want to be a part of helping you process life, process things in the midst of it. There is a space of, of seeking to do good in other people's lives, to think about them that way. In fact, in another passage there in Hebrews, it says that we are to consider one another so that we could stir up love and good works. And I can think, hey, how do I encourage you? How do I how do I be a part of helping you become everything that God wants you to be? How can I come alongside you in a way that sharpens and encourages and, and blesses, even when it has to say, hey, that's, you know, sometimes things that are uncomfortable to say, like, I think you're kind of wasting your time over here, or that's not where you're, what, but this is what's good, and, and to be that kind of friend. That's needed, but to be honest, it's probably even more needed that you would welcome somebody to be that kind of friend. Again, we live in a weird world that is so opinionated on one hand and on the other hand is so offended. Uh, It's constantly just angry at anybody and everybody who would say anything to them. And it can begin to seep into our lives where we are never even wanting that or allowing somebody else, you know, to speak into our lives. How good it is if you have a friend that you could go to and say, hey, tell me the truth. Like, tell me the truth. Like, if you see me doing something or, you know, is not smart or not wise or, or even if you're wrestling through something where you could say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking through this right now. Could, could, you, could you kind of help me with this? You know, you know, maybe I'm writing a letter or I'm writing an email or something like that. It's like, I just want you, could you sharpen this with me? Would you think it through? Am I saying this well? Am I saying this in a dumb way? You know, help me be this. Be that friend to me that helps my life be more than, than I could be. There's a space of that in our lives that in one sense is a vulnerability that can, in our weird world, be just not there. And in one sense, he's inviting us to that. He's telling us, hey, we ought to be this. We ought to be the ones who sharpen uh, one another that can be this and thinking of, of just being a part of that as, as, as sometimes even difficult conversations or hard conversations or conversations where we have to say, hey, it's not good, but it's a blessing that's meant to be there. That's a gift of friendship that can make us so much more. So again, I'm just inviting you, hey, be that friend, be the person that welcomes that kind of friend and discover the blessing that God has in the midst of that. All right, well, you can turn the page. Verse 18, uh, we go to the next Proverbs, kind of just switching gears as they do most often. It says, whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. So he who waits on his master will be honored. 
Whoever keeps the fig tree, the, the person who tends it, the one who's in charge of keeping care of it and watching over it, he says, you're going you're gonna to re- reap the benefits of that, that it's right that it is so, that the worker's worthy of his wages in one sense. And so it really is just altogether right. Someone who's tending and helping, working, say, in an orchard or something like that is going to reap the benefits of that rightly so. It should be that way. So, he says, in a similar way, whoever waits on his master, Whoever comes in and serves the one who, who, that he's under and, and supports them and blesses them, that you're going to be so honored. Now, in the context of it or the picture of it, it has the idea, much like you're keeping a fig tree, so you're enjoying the blessing of the fig tree. So here the idea is you're serving that master, and you're going to be honored as that master is so honored. Where they're blessed, you know, that would be a part of it. And there's a good space of where this would be as, a, as an employee. There's a good space of where this would be in our world, that we would be those who say, hey, I want to see them do well, because then they're doing well, I do well. But so much more, obviously, we look at this, and I think, okay, that's true in the world, but it's so much more in Christ. And I can just tell you this, for the one who waits on our master, who serves our God as the one who is that, in his blessing we are blessed. Where his name is honored, where you're supporting that, there's a place where that brings us pleasure because he's the one that's honored, because he's the one that's glorified. And so it kind of invites us into that of saying, hey, it's right. Like, if that's what's happening, if you are serving Christ and you are honoring him in his pleasure and place, that's where we find reward and joy as well. And so it ought to be so. All right. Verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. In the midst of the Proverbs, this is actually a pretty tough one to understand. Hebrew scholars wrestle over it a lot for a number of reasons. For starters, uh, notice how it kind of rends it out there. It says, as in water, face reflects face. Or more honestly, or more just with, with clarity, face face. Yet Hebrew, the, the way the Hebrew is written out when it was translated into English, one of the things we tell you every now and then, especially in the New King James Version, which is the one that I have in the booklet and up here, when the Bible is being translated from Hebrew into English, when they were doing so every now and then, just the way the English structure works very differently uh, than Hebrew structure, they would add words, uh, words that would help the sentence fill itself out but whenever they did so, they put it in italics. So as you look in the book that I've presented to you or the one on the screen, you'll be able to see the italicized words and know that they were not in the original language, and so it is here. In fact, one of the interesting things about this proverb is it actually has no verb. It has no verb in the Hebrew, which works in Hebrew. doesn't really work in English. You know, for some of you guys in English, like you got every sentence has a verb. You just, you know, I, just, I remember that third grade, whatever, you know, but not so in Hebrew. And so in Hebrew, it just read, as in water, face, face. So a man's heart, uh, the man. And so again, once it's this place, okay, so water, you know, as water, face, face, as man's heart, man, what is it actually speaking about? And probably rightly so, there is a sense of how that works, imagining that you were to go up to a, you know, a pond or, 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 you know, standing water, and you look in there, and it just, you see, you see your face, that a person can see their face reflected in, that likely that's what it's speaking about in our day. We would say even a mirror of battery, you know, kind of looking into that. So he says in a similar way, a man's heart, the man. So again, if we're kind of just taking a proverb as trying to compare the two, the way that this would land out is it's saying in one sense, our heart becomes that that we see who we really are. 
that in one sense, that, that as, we, as we gaze upon that, it helps us get a glimpse of who we are. And I just want to pause and say, that's true. It's true. That said, that's a tough place to come. You know, the Bible tells us our heart is deceitfully wicked. That in one sense, to, to come face to face with that is a tough space. And yet, it's a needed space. And in Christ, it becomes a life-giving space. But therein lies the challenge. Therein lies the problem. See, it happens. It happens in your world. It happens in your life that circumstances, life, reveal your heart. And, and, and something happens where all of a sudden, you know, you see, you know, just a glimpse of what's happening inside. Jesus said, you know, that it's out of our, the abundance of our heart, uh, out of abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So, you know, we say things, it reveals what's actually there. You get a glimpse into uh, the person that you are. And if we're all together honest, it's not a fun space. Uh, it's not a fun space. It, it probably has happened to all of us, and it's probably going to continue to happen to all of us places where all of a sudden we get a glimpse into, I am really pretty selfish. I'm kind of prideful, arrogant, um, kind of unkind sometimes. I mean, there's this ugliness about me. There's this, you know, propensity for whatever, you know, brokenness is in my world. And when you see that, you have a choice. You have a choice of how you're going to handle that. For many in our world, they see that, and instead of dealing with it, they began even what started in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the woman that you gave me. It's like, you know, I, I mean, I know that's, I, you, I said this, but it's really something else that did it. So we have people in our world who, well, you know, you know, yeah, you know, I kind of lost my temper. Yeah, I, I was unkind, but you know what? I'm really a good person. The world just made me this way. It was really somebody else that did this to me. Um, this isn't really who I am. I'm not this way. I'm not this ugly person. You know, it's, it's something else. It's somebody else. I'm better than other people, you know, in many ways. And our world so often begins to play those games. And probably all of us have gone down that road as well. But in Christ, God is inviting us to come face to face with who we really are and recognize our great need of Christ, that he's the one that knows us. And in that moment, we can say, God, this is who I am. This is my brokenness. This is my, my, my heart. You know, I get a chance to see these things, and, and what do I do with this? Instead of pretending I'm not this, I get a chance of, of coming to God and confessing my sin, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, and being forgiven and saying, God, this is what I am. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, I, I got a chance to see, and it's nobody else's fault. It's nobody else that did this to me. It's not my world that made me the, the person I am. It's me. And in that moment when it happens, it becomes one of those places where we get a chance to just get a glimpse uh, of who we are. And it's one of the things in Christ that is meant to compel you to him, to find that you're constantly being driven to a, a greater need of Christ. For one of the things that happens for us in Christ is that this is a continuing process. Uh, again, just spending one more moment on it, and then I'll pass it. Sometimes we think, you know, it, maybe this has happened in your world, and you're like, oh, you know, that happened, and that's why I gave myself, gave my life to Jesus. I found out that I really am broken, and I really am a sinner, and I really am, and so I'm so glad that's done. I'm so glad now we can move past it, and the, the real reality of it is that God just continues kind of peeling that, you know, almost like an artichoke or something, and just kind of like, well, let's just go a little deeper. It's, you're, you're worse than you thought you were, you know, let's just kind of keep peeling this thing back. It's like, man, I just, you know, I knew it was bad before, but I just keeps getting glimpses of how desperately I need Jesus, and, and what that can do for you is compel you to Christ, compel you in greater measure to say, God, I need you. 
God, without you, I can do nothing. God, without you, I can't be a good person. Without abiding in Christ, there's no way. And that's a good space, but you've got to respond to it that way. That the Bible's inviting you to see who you really are, not in a way that you just kind of sit there and bemoan it and feel bad, but be driven to Christ, be driven to who he is. And I long that that's where God is meeting you. And I long that that's a process in your life where you see those things and just, boy, I really need Jesus. Boy, I really, really, really need Jesus. That is just being driven to him all the time. May God do that even now. All right. Well, leaving that, verse 20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Kind of a sad reality. You kind of picture it for a moment, just thinking hell and this place of, of destruction, that there's never a place that there will ever be like, oh, sorry, we're full, it's done, you know. And that's just not the way it is. There's always space. There's always room to that. It's never full. It's never, in that sense, complete. So the eyes of man, this propensity to want things, see things, uh, desire things. He says, in that sense, when we look at that, that can never be satisfied. So this is the book of Ecclesiastes in a single verse. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're aware of it in the, in the Old Testament, is this picture of just letting us know, hey, pursue anything else, and you're going to find out it's empty. Try to, to say, hey, you know, uh, maybe if I had more money, you know, just a little bit more money, and, and that would make me happy. And, and Ecclesiastes tells us that'll never be satisfied because you'll never have enough. If money is what you set your heart on, it will ne- you'll, ne- you'll always want more. If you set your, your heart on success, uh, it will, Ecclesiastes tells us, go for it, you know, and you'll, at, at every juncture, you'll find out, I'm not actually satisfied. You know, so maybe I just need more success. Maybe it's success in business or success in sports. Uh, you know, maybe it would be that way. Or maybe it would be pleasure. Maybe it would be, you know, whether it be lust or drunkenness or any of the things. And Ecclesiastes pursues all of those and says, okay, so if you go down those roads, is that going to satisfy you? And he points out the simple reality that is incredibly apparent in our world for anybody that will see it. None of those things satisfy. None of them satisfy. They, they never will fulfill. They cannot satisfy. You, you'll never look at those who, who find that. Our only satisfaction, again, is in Christ, is finding our life in Him. And so the book of Ecclesiastes would invite us to have this relationship with God and then just enjoy life. You know, don't, don't try to make life that which satisfies you because it can never. Only Christ. You know, our hearts are restless, as Augustine said, till we find our rest in God. And when we find our rest in Him, we can enjoy life but we're not looking to life to satisfy us. We're not looking to money or, or success or pleasure or any of those things to fill what only God can fill. And just as a wise space for you to be someone who recognizes that, because if you're on that road for satisfaction in something else, you are going to be incredibly disappointed. All right, verse 21. Again, switching gears as Proverbs does. It says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. And a man is valued by what others say of him. So we watch this. And so you have for silver. He says, when, you, when you're wanting to refine silver, you have a refining pot, something that would take and you know, put it on a fire that would heat up and, and be used to kind of bring the, the just ugliness which, which is in silver and purify it. So you use a refining pot for that. So, and then you use a furnace for gold. And if gold, you're trying to refine it and deal with the impurities that are in there, you use a furnace to do that. And then it just gives us this. For us, for man, we're not silver, we're not gold. That's not the way it works. 
It happens by what others say about us. Now, this is an interesting thing to think through. One just to process just for a moment. Here in the New King James Version, it could almost just leave open the idea of, of, of that what others might even say negatively about us is one of the things that God would use to refine our lives. That people being critical of us or, you know, searching things out, and it could kind of land that way. And again, and it kind of almost sounds that way, but if you have any other translation of the Bible, you'll know that probably the New King James misses it in one word because it's not specifically what others say about us, it's what others say good about us. It has the idea of the word praise. So just let this land for a moment because it's almost something that maybe is unaware, that you might not think about it this way. So silver and gold are purified, you know, whether through the fire or refining pot. They go through things that allow impurity or ugliness to rise to the surface or things wrong. And, and so the way that they, you know, in the midst of the fire, they could then be skimmed off and, and, and move away uh, things that would only make it more valuable, that would only make it more pure. And God wants to do that in us. And one of the ways he does that is by the good things that people say about our lives. So that's an interesting thing just to ponder. We don't have time to explore in great detail, but I want to just ask you to think about it. How is that so? What is it about things that people would say good about you that would be actually refining? How would that actually work? Well, in a bunch of ways, actually. Because at that moment, when somebody says something nice about you, maybe somebody compliments you. Like, man, you just do such a good job. Boy, you are, you're, you're an amazing person. Boy, you're, you're just, you do, your job is great. You do wonderful things. There are things that happen in that moment that don't happen in any other moment. And it can go one of two ways. Either one, you kind of agree. Well, you know, it actually is really true. I am pretty amazing, honestly, you know. Uh, and all of a sudden, that pride can come to the surface. And, 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 and sometimes you'll just even notice it. It's like, man, I am prideful. I mean, there's a part of me that feels like I deserve that. Like, I, did, I mean, I know I shouldn't. And, and yet it can be something that can be, you know, good for us to deal with it. Other times we go other spaces. We're like, God, you know that's not true. You know, I'm, I'm hearing what they're saying, but instead of, you know, feeling great by what they're saying, I'm aware of what I'm not. I'm aware of, of where I lack. And, and it can actually be a really good thing for us. I mean, a really space where God allows things in our lives. But at that moment, if we're using the illustration well, it, we have to deal with that well. So, just imagine one more time with me, if you know anything about the way silver or gold are, are purified. So let's just take silver for an example. So you take silver and you put it in this refining pot and you're heating it up. And at that moment, as the silver begins to bubble, again, the impurities rise to the surface. And now you have an opportunity to deal with them. But it doesn't happen automatically. Like if you don't deal with it and then you let it get cold, it'll just kind of go right back into it. You know, it'll settle back down and the impurities there. While it's there, you have an, an opportunity to say, oh, Okay, let's skim this thing off. Let's take something and skim off the impurities. Let's allow this to be something where, you know, we're, we're going to allow this to do good. And so God is letting us know somehow when we're complimented, when we're praised. There's just something that happens at that moment. Do nothing about it. It's not going to benefit you. But if you allow those moments uh, to be that which maybe it highlights pride and you need to go, okay, man, I am really thinking too much of myself and let that purify off. Or again, maybe more likely for most of us, we're in that space. It's like, instead of feeling, you know, it's a weird space. Instead of that being like, man, I, I deserve that. We're so aware of what I don't. 
And sometimes things come to the surface in this moment. Maybe, again, our, our failures, our inadequacies, or whatever it is. It's a, just allow it. Like, okay, God, just cleanse this. Just, just allow this to be good. Just allow this, uh, you know, to, 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 to purge away. I think about it years ago, I was reading uh, a book by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who is one of the you know, greatest preachers of our time, and, and he just talked a little bit about how this was happening to him, you know, that you know, he would you know, have people come up to him and tell him, like, you're one of the greatest preachers of all time, or whatever, you know, you're like, you're like so amazing, and he, he just talked about how he had this conversation with God so often right there at the midst of it, you know, where he would just simply say, you know, God, you know how untrue that is. You know, make me more what they think I am. You know, God, you know, you know whatever they think they see, whatever, you, you know how far short I fall of that. God, you know, allow this to purify me, to make me more like the person they think I am. God, you know, work this in me for good. And then he would say, God, forgive me because, you know, I actually even enjoy, you know, some of these things. I enjoy people's compliments. And Lord, let that pull, just purify even any pride in me. And he just talked about how in him it was one of the things that really did work and just dealing with his heart well. And it's just a good space for us to consider. Because, you know, honestly, probably for, for many of us, that's not something we do really well. Maybe you do. Maybe I'm just telling you this right now. It's like, Jim, I do this all the time. I know that this is there. Others are like, man, I, I, I don't probably handle compliments very well. You know, I don't really let them work well in my life, and yet they can. It's one of the things God is doing to, to help us become people he wants us to be, which is an interesting thing, but not altogether a comfortable thing. We'll leave that for you to process more, think through in the midst of it. Verse 22, though you grind a fool in mortar and with a pestle along with crushed grain. So he says here, you know, though you do this, so you grind a fool with a mortar and pestle along with crushed grain. Now, maybe you absolutely understand what this is, and some of you probably do. I just got to be honest with you. I read this, and it's like, I don't know what we're talking about. You know, what's a pestle? You know, it's like, how does that actually even work? And so if you didn't know, it's kind of one of those things that often they would use, you know, kind of this is a mortar, and that's a pestle, a little stick, and you kind of, you know, throw grain in there, and you crush it up and, and use it to separate and, and, and just break things apart, whether you were using it in cooking or whether you're using it in medicine. It was, it is still very much a, a, a thing. And so we look at this, and so with that as this picture, it says, so if you take a fool, who's all in his folly, and you throw him in this thing that you use to crush things, you know, crush them and break them apart. He says, you know, yet his foolishness will not depart from him, that there is no means of doing that, you know, through some kind of physical cause, you know, and it's just this proverb that's meant to be kind of humorous. I mean, obviously, nobody would actually do this, um, but in one, well, some of you are thinking about it, but uh, in one sense, we just look at that's not going to work. I mean, how do you make someone who's living a dumb, foolish life, and the idea of a fool is someone who lives their life ignoring God, rejecting God, rejecting his ways, and like, man, I just want to like crush the, just like, you know, it's like, it's not going to work. That, that, that doesn't separate. There's only God that can do this. He's the only one who can deal with our hearts and changes from the inside out. And so again, it's kind of just a comical, almost a, just this picture of thinking nothing else can do what only God can do in, in separating us from our folly. All right. Well, that takes us to, to verse 23. In fact, from verse 23 to the end of the chapter, it is really uh, a, a whole section that all of it flow together. So everything from verse 23 to verse 27 is kind of in a similar theme, so we need to kind of build it that way together. But it begins with a principle that's just found there in verse 23. Be diligent 
to know the state of your flocks. Attend to your herds. Inviting us in the, in the midst of this to, to kind of take care of this. And he pictures this as a shepherd or someone who is taking care of it. He says, you just, you know, if you're going to do that, you got to take care so you take care of your sheep. you got to take care of that which is under your care. We would say it as a principle. It's the idea of be a good steward of what you have. That whether, you know, obviously, probably nobody in here is, like, that's me. Like, I, I, I'm a shepherd of sheep. And, and yet you can understand in the midst of it, there is a sense of being aware. Being aware of, of what's in your, in your, in, under your control. Being aware of the stewardship that you have in your life, whether it be of your possessions uh, or of, of your job or, or things in the midst of it. Watching over those things that God has put uh, within your care. And then he just reasons with us why. why. Like, why do you need to do this? Why would that be something so important? Well, first reason, he says riches, uh, they're not forever. Like, they could just go away in a heartbeat. Like, don't take care of things, you will lose them, is kind of the idea. Don't, don't be careful with them. They, will, they, they, just, they can disappear in a moment. And there's a, a way of thinking, okay, so this is what I have, this is, you know, what's under my control in this moment. But, boy, you, you got to be careful. you got to watch over this. You know, you gotta, you got to make sure you're aware of what you have so that you can, you know, because it could just go like that. And one sense, he calls us to be good stewards. And even financially, just saying, hey, it's not, it's not a great thing to think, well, I don't even worry about those things. And all of a sudden, you won't have anything. Like, if you don't, you're not like, well, you know, I know how much things cost. I know, you know, got to make sure, you know, we're going to have enough money for paying the bills at the end of the month. Got to make sure that, you know, we're aware of where things are going. He says, hey, that if you don't do that, if you're not aware, if you don't know the state of what you have, it'll be gone. It, it, it'll be one of those things that will move away very rapidly. Nor, he says, does a crown the idea of a crown or a place of privilege or a place of, uh, uh, where you're kind of enjoying blessing, it doesn't last to all generations. Probably the idea of crown here is not the idea of thinking of a king or a prince who's crowned. It really has more the idea of a blessed position, of a place where you find yourself you know, enjoying favor, uh, and maybe we'd just say it in our world, like, hey, you have a good job, and they take care of you, or you have a moment that is, you know, hey, this is, you know, honor or privilege that's given to you, but man, that doesn't always last, and it certainly doesn't last into, you know, taking care of your family always, where it's like, hey, it worked for me, you know, it's like, hey, you got to be aware of these things, you got to be aware of these things so that you're aware of what lasts, what doesn't last, what's going to go away in a moment, you got to pay attention to what you have so that you can watch over it and care for it, and just have some practical pieces of wisdom, because without doing that so often, it moves away rapidly. Then he adds to it, next page on verse 25, says it this way, it says, when the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in. So again, it's this same concept. Hey, you're taking care of what's under your control. You're taking care of what you have because stuff isn't forever. Privileges don't always last in the midst of it. And then he just says this, but also when the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself. And so the, the simple concept, not a hard one to get to understand is so you're, you're, you're raising hay. You know, you're kind of growing it. If you cut the hay, the new hay will show up. You know, like, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're mowing it, if you're taking care of it, that tender grass begins to, to, to grow, that there becomes this place of, of watching the next growth kind of come in. He says, you watch over this. He adds to it the idea of the herbs in the mountain are, ga- mountain are gathered in, which has the idea of, of going and taking care of that. We would probably 
within our culture understand this almost the idea of you tending a garden like uh, you take care of the garden and some of you are doing it right now some of you have gardens and, and, they're, and they're full and you already understand how this works hey tend the garden bring in bring in the produce and it'll keep producing you know, take care of what you have and, 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 and tend those things. And, it will, you know, you'll keep having those tomatoes until you have more tomatoes than you could ever possibly want, you know, kind of deal. You know, you just, you go, you just keep taking care of it. You know, you keep, because if you're not attending to it, it's not going to take care of itself. It's not going to take care of, of, of that concept. And so he says, hey, hey, take care of these things. Take care of the things in your life. Take care of the things that are there so that it could be there. And he's just giving us this picture of faithfulness, this picture of being aware of what we have in a way of of being faithful uh, into the things that God has. And it will be a blessing. He gives it to us this way. He says in verse 26, you know, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of of, of, uh, a field. So you have lambs, you have the you know, sheep, maybe you're taking care of them, they'll actually provide clothing. You know, they'll actually, you know, do this. But again, you're just kind of tracking with me, at least I hope you are. Uh, they don't do that by themselves. Like lambs don't knit clothes. So like the only way this is going to work is if you shear the lambs, you know, is if you're like, hey, you know, if you take care of what you have, it will take care of, you know, there'll be blessings back on you. There'll be, there'll be blessings upon your life. There'll be a, a way that if you take care of those things and you're faithful with what's under your control in the midst of it, he says it will provide for you. The goat's the price of a field. And probably in this moment, he's looking at, at, at that, you know, the idea of in this proverb, just that produce that would come from a goat, goat's milk very specifically, is that's what he talks about in the next verse. As he says it in verse 27, says, you shall have enough goat's milk for your food and the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. And he just invites us to understand, hey, if you will, will take care of that, if you will be faithful or what's, what, what's yours, he said, you'll have enough. You'll have enough goat's milk that will provide for you. Like it will take care of you and, and your nourishment. It will meet you and your food, but not just you. It takes care of your family. It takes care of, of that. It takes care of a household beyond that. And so he's again just inviting us into faithfulness. And it's one of the great lessons that, that really is, you know, a part of, of, of a kind of a biblical mindset in the may of, a way of handling life that is just saying, hey, you know, take care of what's yours. Take care of, you know, be a good steward of what God has given you. There's not anything that's in your world that, that God has not allowed you to have and be a part of that. And, and some, that some of our spaces is just to be faithful in the midst of this. For many in our world, they can live their lives, um, instead of doing this, bemoaning what they don't have. Well, yeah, other people have so much more than I do. Yeah, other people, yeah, boy, they have stuff. You know, they, boy, you know, I, I just have this. This is all I have. This is all that's a part of my life. And woe is me, poor me, um, and not being faithful over what you have. He's like, just take care, be faithful in what you have. You know, don't spend your days, you know, mourning what you don't have or, you know, skills or talents or jobs or whatever. Just be faithful in what you have and, say, and, and, and watch that so often. And he invites us into this place of faithfulness. He invites us into this place of, of being a good steward over whatever it is we have. And, and what an incredible space that is, you know, to be able to say, hey, I, I, I seek to do that. I, I seek to, to be a good steward of whatever God allows me. 
uh, to have in the midst of my life and, and, and to see it grow, to see it, you know, thrive, to see, you know, whether that be, you know, the garden or the sheep or whatever it is, just inviting us into our lives of being able to do that. So it's a pretty, just a very, you know, encouraging little proverb, but also just meant to be challenging in the way that we view our lives and, and the way that we process that and the way that that lands out in the way that we are. It's a good space for us to come. It's a good space for us to think through, just inviting us to say, okay, here's the thing. You be diligent to know the state of your flock, to know what, what is in your possession, not what you don't have, not mourning over what's not yours or what other people have, but you attend to what is yours and just say, this is mine. This is mine. You know, I, I may not have what other people have, but I'm going to take care of what I do have and be faithful in the midst of it, and it's a good way to live your life. I hope it's meeting you even where you are. That said, as I think about this, and I find myself thinking about as we process this picture of faithfulness and taking care of what you have and, and watching over it, you know, kind of reach the end of our, of our chapter here this evening, and I don't want to advance into the next chapter, so I just want to pause for a moment and just flip the, the picture just for a second. So God's inviting us into this place of being faithful, of knowing the state of your flocks and attending to your herds, and I want to just invite you to understand that one of the ways we see that done so well is the way that God cares for you and the way that God looks into your life. You know, I, I think about that very familiar psalm in Psalm 23, where it just invites us to see that the Lord is our shepherd. And the Lord is our shepherd. And, and I love the way it just lends it out. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and really the idea is because of who he is, I, I, I don't like anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I, there's not anything else I need because he's the one that takes care of me. He's the one that, that watches over, you know, who I am. And I love Jesus when he would speak about it. And John 10 said, he's a good shepherd. He knows his sheep and, and he cares for them. You know, I just want to draw you this evening to understand that that's exactly where God is for you. You know, God's inviting us to be those who are faithful, walk in the lives that we have and care for what's actually ours. And yet that's exactly what our God is doing for you that our God looks upon you here this evening and he sees who you are and he sees where you are and he's a God who is doing all of this. He is a God who is tending us, who's caring about us, who watches over us, who sees where we are and, and does so in a way that kind of carries us through the life that we are, carries us through the space that we are. And, and maybe you already know that, but I just want to tell you, if you don't, I'm inviting you to rest in this. I think it's the New Living Translation of this verse that just simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need. The Lord is my shepherd, and that, that's, that's really, that's what I need, is that God is the one who would take care of me, that God is the one who, who does navigate my life, who is seeing me, and, and isn't, you know, looking at me and disregarding me, or just like, ah, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. No, he's like, I, I know the state of my flock. I know who they are. I know them by name. I know what's happening in their life. I know what, 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 what they need, and I'm going to lead them into green pastures. I'm going to bring them beside still waters. I'm going to take them through the valleys. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to watch over them. That there's a sense of God's faithfulness that would just manifestly work into our lives, which is such an incredible space for us to land. Just to invite you into that, into a place that, again, I'm hoping that as I say that, you sense that. That in one sense, as he's inviting us to be those kinds of people, we'd recognize that's the weight and the wonder of who we are. That right now, God sees you, knows you, knows what you're facing, knows where you are, knows what you need, and he cares. He has not forgotten you. 
He's not ignored you. He's not in any way, you know, taken for granted what, what, what's in the midst of this. He is a God who cares for his own and cares for him always and, and sees that, that, he's, that he would be the shepherd every space of our life. So as we kind of close this evening, I'm inviting you to rest in that. I'm inviting you to, to think through just that reality that God is that good shepherd that would watch over us and be that for us. Yet as we do close, I just say this as we focus on this reality. That's true. This is true for all of this, those who are Christ, that you, that you know Jesus, that we're those ones who are known by him and have invited in to be the sheep of his pasture, that all we like sheep had gone astray, and now he's brought us back to be his. But maybe you're here this evening, and again, you're outside of this. Maybe even when we talked about that idea of, of your heart being reflected, you know, showing you who you really are, you, you've begun to see that, but it hasn't driven you to Christ. Maybe that's why you're even here this evening. You know, in one spent, somebody's invited you to come be a part of that, or maybe that's why you've tuned in online. Because something has happened that has brought you to an end of yourself, that you see, hey, you're not a good person, you are broken, your sin is in the midst of this, and we're inviting you into a space of surrendering your life to the shepherd, uh, of giving yourself to him, that he would be the one that you would recognize that you need, that he would rescue you where you are and, and draw you into the life that he would care for. It's a great space for us to come. So let me lead us in prayer for that. You can close your Bibles, notebooks if you haven't already done so. And let's just take a moment and celebrate, pray to just the God who is our good shepherd. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us and you invite us to do life well. We think about many of the things that we've seen this evening from being able to be those who handle praise well, from being able to be those who allow our hearts to just reflect who we really are and drive us to you, to be those who are walking in faithfulness, being good stewards over the things that you've given us. God, thank you that you would show us all this and more. And yet, Lord, I look at what you're seeking to do in us and, and then I allow those things to reflect even who you are as you draw us to life with you. You draw us to, to be those who would be more like you, to follow you. Lord, I, I think about that reality as we rest in this right now. I just come before you and I am so glad that you are that faithful shepherd, that you know your sheep, that you haven't forgotten one of us, that you attend to us, that you know where we are, what's taking place. You don't waste anything. You work everything together for good in our lives. You're always faithful. You're always the one tending to and watching over us. And God, I'm so glad that you are. And I believe that you're doing that even now. And in your faithfulness, I just ask that you draw us to that, into a space of resting, that you're the shepherd that we need. Lord, would you meet us in that, resting in who you are, being drawn to that. But as I do pray for that, I pray once more, just for any that are outside this, who life has showed them who they are maybe, and maybe they've got glimpses of the ugliness of their own heart and they haven't been driven to you, God, do so now. Bring them to an end of themselves and a desperate need for you. Be the one that would show them who you are, that good shepherd who would just lay your life down for us, who gave your life dying on the cross for us so that you could rescue us. 
Jesus, thank you so much for all that you are. And I pray that you would just draw us to rest in you, trust in you, and see your good work in our lives. I ask that for me and for each of us now, surrendering all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.